When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Car Stories with Sung Kang. And Amelia Hartford. And today we have a living legend, Mr. John Oates. Not only is he a great musician, but he is a true lover of cars. We don't talk about music very much. I mean, we talk about him touring in a GTO, and he just has beautiful stories around cars. Who would have known he's such a car guy? Just a wonderful young spirit about him. 100%. And it's great to learn from him what it's takes to be successful and how he approaches life daily. He's lived an incredible life and it was such a blessing to get to hear it. So without further ado, John Oates. John, could you take us back and give us context on how you found your passion? Because obviously your first passion is music and then cars. We'll talk about cars. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, but where did you discover that? Well, if you're talking about music, um, I, I guess I was born into being a musician. I was born to be a musician. I started singing as a baby, literally. Um, my, my mom would take me in a baby carriage in New York City when we lived in New York City and uh, <laughs> take me up, to, uh, up the block to where there was a garage. And there was a bunch of guys who worked at the garage and they would sit out in front of the garage and she would... And they would ask me to sing, and I would sing like little children's songs. So I just sang. I don't know why or how. Uh, and then, um, you know, I have a recording of me singing at four years old at Coney Island Amusement Park. And, you know, one of those those recording booths that like the kind that Jack White has, where, you know, you, you put a coin in and you sing and a little record comes out. Um, so I actually have a few of those. And um, I took singing lessons at five. I began to play guitar at six. I've uh, never looked back, and my mom was a bit of a stage mom. You know, she pushed me. She, um, you know, which some sometimes I look back and regret it, but other times I appreciate it. Uh, but I was one of those kids. You know, I sang in little kitty shows, and she used to dress me up in a red blazer with white bucks. And to this day, I can't wear red. I have a, <laughs> I have a phobia about it. But um, you know, it was just one of those things. I was I was performing from the time I was like literally five and six years old. Mm. So you were born to do this. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I never, you know, if someone ever would have said, you suck or stop or start booing, I probably would have quit. But that never, never quite happened. Happened a few times, but not, not to the point where I would, uh, would, would reconsider. I never really considered anything else, even though I went to college for journalism. But I just, uh, that was just to, you know. Go get to a college. De- get a degree. Yeah. yeah, really, basically. Is that what your mom wanted you to do? No. 
she wanted she didn't want me to do anything i i i did it too because i wanted to go to the city i grew up in a small town in pennsylvania after we moved from new york mm. and um i i knew the city was where it was at that was where you know the music was that's where you know other people were so i began to go to philadelphia me almost immediately from in high school and then uh, i went to temple university because it was a city school it was right in the middle of the city mm. and i could be close to uh, the music scene mm. and um writing and journalism always came easy to me so i just did it just to kind of pass the time really what were the 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 dudes driving in high school back then in your small town well, one of the reasons I've developed a passion for sports cars was I had a very good friend when I was in 10th grade who had a TR3. TR3. Triumph TR3. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then this exchange student came over from England, and uh, his father uh, was, uh, was, I guess, transferred to a job in America, and he had a Mini Cooper. Mm. And I had never seen one of those. And I drove his Mini Cooper. And it was the greatest thing. That it, I, it could spin its front tires. It was front-wheel drive. It was so exotic <laughs> to me, you know. And then I started going to the local road races, the Reading Road Races. There were hill climbs. There was a place in Pennsylvania called the Giant Despair Hills Climb. It was a sports car, you know, SCCA kind of thing. There was even uh, midgets and uh, stock car racing on dirt you know, on Saturday nights in a local speedway. So I saw, you know, I saw all that stuff as a little kid, and um, I just began to love it. And then as soon as I got old enough to drive, I started driving. What was the first car? The first car that I had was a Renault Dauphine. I don't know if you know even what that is. Yeah. A little tiny Renault. And one of the th things they advertised, it had a city horn and a country horn. <laughs> had this little tiny switch <laughs> under the steering wheel, and one went beep, beep, boop, boop. Beep, beep, poop, poop. And I, that was like, that was very exotic. Um, and then I graduated immediately to uh, to an MGB. MGB was my first sports car. Okay. And uh, I've had a lot of cars, so I don't know where you want to go with this. Um, an Alfa Romeo Spider, Ooh. which I saw at the New York Auto Show in the 70s, right? 72. And I thought that was the sexiest, coolest. You know, it was like, I can't afford a Ferrari, but I, I can maybe afford this. And it was black with a saddle interior, and it was absolutely beautiful. And to this day, the Alpha Spider is still one of my favorite cars to drive. Hmm. Um, the real change for me was right here in California, about a mile or two away, Beverly Hills Porsche on Wilshire Boulevard. It's not there anymore, obviously. It's an auto body shop now. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, one day I was driving down Wilshire, and in the corner of the showroom was a red 930 Turbo. They had just come out in 76, mm -hmm. and this was 77. And I, I knew what it was because I was reading all the magazines. And I saw it, and I went, oh, boy. I said, I've got to just look at this thing because I've never seen one real, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I went in, and the salesman told me that Rod Stewart had a deposit on it. It had gold BBS wheels, by the way. Ooh. Love yeah, that. And was carmine red. So I went back, and I talked to my manager, and I said, hey, I saw this car. And I said, man, I said, it's too bad. It's spoken for. He goes, well, let's go down and take a look. So my manager was a pretty tough Italian guy from New York. <laughs> I'm already smiling. I love where this is going. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so um, we went in, and uh, Sonny Bono had a 356 convertible, and my manager really liked that. And he, he told the salesman, he said, he said, we can make a deal. He says, I'll buy the, three, the black 356, but we need to get this 930 turbo for this guy over here. And so the last thing I saw was my manager with his arm around the salesman, taking him into the back room. And came out and he said, if you want the car, it's yours. And then red became your favorite color again after that, huh? Well, yeah, it was okay in the car. <laughs> it was okay in the car. But that that turbo, that one of the greatest things I had ever done was drive that from the East Coast back to L.A. And I took the southern route on I-10 through, and it stopped at the Grand Canyon, went through the desert, through Texas. And that was that was unreal. Was, was it easy to just pick up and drive? I mean, yeah, those, was, those was turbos a, was were very, like the lag. Well, it was dangerous mm. because it, it was like an on and off switch. You know, it had a giant turbo and didn't have much power, really. And it's funny to think back at that car. That car had 207 horsepower. Freaking Hondas, you yeah. know, blow it away, right? Yeah. But, um, but in those days, it was so light. And but when the turbo kicked in, if it kicked in in a corner— you were in trouble yeah, because it was going to spin. It was very dangerous. But, you know, it, it, driving across the desert 
And I remember getting it up to about 145 in one of those stretches across the desert. That was one of the greatest trips I've ever taken. So I had that for a while and then I got rid of it. But um, 207 horsepower, that's nothing. I know. The European version had like 215 and it was toned down for America. 207 horsepower and yet it was a supercar. At the time, that was a lot of horsepower, and that was a pretty light and nimble car. Exactly. But, you know, you think about it in modern terms, you know. Yeah. You've got 200 horsepower in the trunk of your car. Yeah. Well, how much horsepower is the car that you drove over? The 500. The one that I drove here, it's like six-something. Six-something. My sedan is like seven-something. What? I, I have a few cars. Um, oh, okay, here we go. I, now, now we're no, going. no, we're not going to take turns. Don't worry. I want to hear more about your collection. Right. Um, but I did recently just buy a CT5e Blackwing. Which is a really yeah, yeah. Oh my god, the Cadillac. Yeah, it's the last manual that they'll make, so <sighs> That's I had a beast. to get it. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Turn off traction control. It's another car. Wow, you are. I'm scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Every passenger in my car is as well. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can see why. <laughs> so that th- that era, people who are into European cars like Porsches and you know and, mm-hmm. and Mini Coopers. Were they a different type of mindset? Because that was very, like, American Iron era, right? Like the Mustangs and the Chevelles, Yeah, yeah right? I never got into the uh, muscle car era thing. I think it had to do a lot with my um, my parents, when m- my mother's side of the family being Italian. Always had a—and I was always oriented toward Europe, uh, you know, a lot of ways. The stories that my family told and, you know, about, about, Europe, about Italy in particular. So I just seemed to have that uh, connection. And then I started to, um, one of the things that really kind of took me on, on that, you know, the more the imported European track was I found a collection of road and track magazines in a trash, mm. in a box mm. that someone had discarded. And they were, went all the way back to 1948. Um, and I still have them. I have an amazing collection of these vintage road and track magazines. And they were in a box. Someone had put them on the, on the side of the street. And uh, I picked it up, took them home, and I started pouring through them. And I, all of a sudden, there was this exotic world opened up to me. Uh, you know, Juan Manuel Fangio, Sterling Moss, you know, these names, Ascari, Tar, you know, Tazio Nuvolari, and all these exotic circuits, you know, like Monza, the Nuremberg Ring, Silverstone. And I was like, wow, there's a whole world out there. And I didn't, I, I began to learn about it. And, you know, the, the, all about the pre-war, you know, or the pre-war and the post-war Grand Prix cars that were developed, you know, and things like that. And so that really just, uh, I just went uh, down a rabbit hole uh, studying about the history of uh, motorsport, really, and I got into it. And I love history in general anyway. I'm kind of a, you know, a armchair historian. So um, I really enjoyed all that stuff. And, you know, and then, of course, uh, that that just took me down the road and that just seemed to be where I was going. But you did participate in American Iron because you did race the Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Well, we're jumping way ahead now. And I did have, uh, I did you a, ta- a Bel Air, right? Well, my father, my father had a 50, 56 Bel Air. Okay. But I convinced my parents to buy a Pontiac GTO in 1968. Oh, really? I told wow. them it was just like a Tempest, except it was a little more expensive. Wow. <laughs> and it was yellow with a black vinyl top. And then Daryl and I bought it from them and went on tour in the Pontiac GTO. Wow. The first car we went on tour with the whole band. So Daryl and I sat in the front and the three guys in the band sat in the back. And really? they, they'd have to draw straws for the hump, whoever, who got the hump. <laughs> and we, we toured all over the East Coast, all the way from Florida to New York in a Pontiac GTO. Wow. And that was during the gas crisis. Mm. I don't know if you remember the gas crisis. She I wasn't might boring. be a little no, young yeah, for the yeah. gas crisis. I don't, I, don't mean, I, I don't mean you remember the gas crisis. You, you remember hearing about the gas crisis. Yes. Uh, no, tell me, tell me. Okay, well, the gas crisis happened. It was bullshit. It was a complete fabricated thing that they decided that there wasn't enough gas to go around. So based on you, on the last number of your uh, license plate would determine whether you could buy gas on odd or even day. Really? So, yes. So when we were on tour— What decade was this? This was 70s, early okay. 70s, around seven, I would say 72, 73. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So we would tour, but of course we were playing almost every night and we had to get to the next city. So our our road manager, while we were on stage before midnight, before the cutoff of our gas day, go to gas? he would go fill up the, car, the, the GTO mm. so that the next day we could drive to the next city. Could mm. you get to the next city on one tank? Well, yeah, because we were playing all lo- little, like working our way from like 
Philadelphia down through Delaware and Did you Maryland. ever run into an instance where you guys ran out of gas no, and no, had to push we, it? No, okay. we didn't. We, we, made it, we made it through the whole time. But it, it was kind of crazy. And uh, so we did that for a while. And then, of course, we graduated to a, a, a Chevy Suburban and a van and a bus, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, no, that, so I did have a muscle car. You know, and that was pretty cool. Touring in style at GTO. That's right. Right? Yes. That that's was, so cool. That's why the 70s were so cool, because it was such a crazy, everything was an adventure. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I don't think a lot of people know that you were serious, like go-carter. Yeah, like, and you, started with yeah, carts, yeah. like so many drivers do. Um, what happened was I was just hanging out in the Hamptons um, in the in the late 70s, uh, you know, going at the beach. We had a lot of friends who would go there in the summer. We'd just hang out. And um, I stumbled upon a, a sign that said, go-kart races at Bridgehampton Track. I had never seen a go-kart race, so I just went in there, and there were all these families and kids and older people zipping around this track on these little carts. And I was like, wow. And I just introduced myself. I said, how do you do this? And the guy said, buy a cart. And we'll show you. And so I bought a cart and um, made some friends with uh, local engine builders and local guys. And I began, I joined the go-kart club and I raced go-karts for two years. Went to the nationals um, down wow. in Florida. Didn't do that well, but I went and then I wanted to move up, and I started to—I uh, was on tour in England, and I had a good friend who was a professional driver and also a musician. And he introduced—he said—and I said, well, how do, we, how do I do this? You know, how do I get started? He said, well, you've got to take a racing school. So I went to Crystal Palace and, and did a skid school, learned how to, you know, slide the car around. And then I went to Brands Hatch, and um, I took my first racing school at Brands Hatch, uh, and I'm driving a Formula Ford, and uh, did pretty well. You know, when you start racing, you test yourself immediately because mm -hmm. it's all about, you know, if you, if there's 
10 people in the racing school and you're near the top, then you know that you're okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was always close to the fastest. Um, and I thought, well, okay, you know, so far so good. Then I went back to America. I had to get an SCCA license, you know, um, and I went to a Ber the Bertel Roos School in Pocono. Mm. And Michael uh, Iandretti had just uh, finished the school the year before me. And his cousin, John Andretti, was in the school with me. And we became friends because we lived in Pennsylvania together. And I drove the same car that Michael drove. Michael drove the Formula Ford the year before me, and then I drove that same car uh, and got my SCCA license and drove some uh, Formula Ford races. And then I moved into the Sports 2000 category, which was a enclosed body, 2000cc, similar to a Formula Ford, but a little bit faster, and especially because of the aerodynamics. And I did the professional Sports 2000 series for two years. Uh, did okay, didn't do that well, uh, but all right. And um, then I got a chance to do some IMSA racing, so, uh, long-distance racing. And mm -hmm. I raced um, my friend who got me started in England. Uh, he came over with a um, 924 GTR, and I raced at Daytona. I raced at Lime Rock. Um, I love Lime Rock. You know Lime Rock? Yeah, yeah. You've been I've, there? I've driven on that track. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a fun in, one. In Connecticut? Yep. yep. Yeah. Are, are you originally from Connecticut? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm from okay. Indiana, but oh, I okay. actually got my racing license out there at Lime Rock. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. The dreaded West Bend. <laughs> you come out and then you go down under the bridge and you go down oh, the hill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a fun turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's how that started. And that leads us to the Pontiac Fiero. So Daryl and I got a sponsorship for our tour. Uh, Pontiac had just introduced the Fiero. And because we were popular and, you know, with, you know, yeah, they wanted a, a young vibe, right? So um, we did a deal. We did a commercial deal with Pontiac Fiero. And um, I met a guy named Mike Joy, who's uh, one of the lead announcers for NASCAR. He's been doing NASCAR for years and years. And Mike was working for Pontiac at the time. And he, uh, he was the coordinator for the sponsorship. And so Mike asked me if I wanted to drive the Fiero in IMSA. And uh, it, was, it was built by Joe Huffaker up in Northern California. And um, Bob Earl, who's a really good driver, was the lead driver. And uh, in the endurance races, they needed a co-driver. So I got to drive the Fiero. I went and tested it, um, did okay. And then I went to Elkhart Lake, and things didn't turn out so good. Um, the, trans the transmission locked up in a, in a, in a turn called uh, the Kink. I was worried you were going to say the car caught on fire. <laughs> it was almost that bad. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Elkhart Lake. It's an amazing track. It's got a carousel. And after the carousel, there's a very fast, you know, flat-out turn called the kink. And if your car is good, you can, you know, go through it flat. And um, it was near the end of my stint, actually. I was about to bring it in so he could take over. And I heard a popping sound, and the, the rear end locked up. And... I don't remember anything. I woke up in the in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Oh, so, so you I, went to a wall. I went. I hit the hit, hit the dirt on the right, and then careened over. Went over the guardrail, over the armco, and luckily didn't hit a tree. The, the armco stopped the car. But did you feel wow. anything? No, I just remember saying shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and then I woke up in the in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, and they said I had a mild concussion. And I was like, okay. And then they let me go. And I got in my rental car and drove back to Milwaukee and flew home. So it wasn't that bad, but it could have been really bad. Yeah. But it was really, it, it made me realize that I was res racing professionally, but not giving it a professional effort. I wasn't testing. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I was in a recording studio, I was touring. And so I thought, you know, it's probably better if I stop doing this for a while. So um, I stopped. Mm. Did you ever go back to it, like, spiritedly? Yeah, I still drive. I do track days and things like that. I don't I don't race, though. I won't race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did drive the Porsche tractor in the tractor race. So, But the fastest speed was 23 miles an yeah. hour. So I think I was okay. Safer, mm -hmm. yeah. I could jump out if I needed to. I mean, I think the Fiero gets a bad rap. when I, when I saw It was the, a cool little car. It was. When it came yeah. out, it was like... The, There's a cult around the it. The coolest mm -hmm. car. Yeah. I, I, would, I remember I would see it parked on the street and I would just stare at it. Well, think about it. I mean, an American mid-engine car with a movable top, like a mm -hmm. Targa top. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and you never saw like a Ferrari parked in the street. <laughs> so, I mean, to see a Fiero, I was like, oh, this is like... 
baby Ferrari as a kid. That's what like, everyone compared them to. Yeah, it did yeah. look a little like that. Yeah, yeah. It had that vibe. Yeah, it was cool. And the GT model was like, it was sweet. Okay. You know? It didn't age well. No, it didn't right? age like, well. No, I, true. But I, I, I think there's going to be a resurgence. I'd like to see I th- it. I'm I think here you for should, it. I should, you should lead the resurgence. <laughs> yeah. I think you need to go get yourself a Fiero. I could do that. I mean, we could probably get a few for a couple of grand. <laughs> <laughs> probably get a few, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we had a mutual friend of ours, Rod Emery here. Yes, the great Rod Emery. Yeah. So let's talk about your love affair for his three five sixes, right? Well, it all happened right here in Hollywood. Um, I was on tour uh, seven, about seven, eight, seven, eight years ago, and um, I was just surfing the internet, you know, as we all do, looking at car stuff, right? And I came upon Rod's website. Didn't know anything about him at all, and I started looking at the cars, and I was like, wow. I said, they're so beautiful. So I was staying in a hotel here in West Hollywood, and I had a day off. So my drummer and I uh, went, got in a rental car, and we drove out there. And um, I said, oh, my God. And I looked around, and I remember my drummer saying, he said, oh, boy, you are in trouble. And I said, yeah, I think I am. Uh, and uh, so we talked, and Rod was, you know, obviously very friendly and fun. And, um, and he said, do you want to go for a ride? So he let me drive. He he drove the car down. We went down toward Burbank Airport a little bit, just on the street, and then turned around. He said, "You can drive it back." And I drove it back, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I said, "Okay, what 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 is this going to take?" And he started telling me the reality of, of what it was going to take, how many years, and the price, and all. You know, we're close to the price, and so I told him I had a '56 Speedster back in the '80s. I had a silver Speedster, and of all the cars that I got rid of, that was the only car I ever regretted. And he said, so you want a speedster to replace it? And I said, well, not really, because I, I already had one. I said, but I want that feeling. I want, I want the feeling of that speedster, but not. And so that's why we came up with this version of the 356. How long did it take to find the, the body of the car? Um, not long at all. Uh, he found it in Texas, and it was a true barn find. It was actually in a barn. I have pictures oh, of it. Oh, that's so cool. And it was full of hornet's nests. Oh. There were there are bees nests inside it, and the front was completely crushed in on a telephone pole. So he got a pretty good deal. And, and this was the bee cabriolet? That's right, with a removable hardtop. Okay. And so they trucked it back to California, and uh, Rod said, I found the right car for you. And he said, and the cool thing is, it's got this removable hardtop, and I want to do something special with it. Because I thought, well, it'll be a convertible, it'll end up being a real cabriolet, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he, I do have the soft top for it, and I've never put it on the car. There's just no reason for it. And you replaced the front end of that, right, with a different style? That's right, um, because it was a B cabriolet. Mm-hmm. In in Porsche, uh, you know, in, in those days, uh, as federal regulations require different safety things, Porsche was forced to raise the angle and the height of the the pontoons, they call them in the Porsche speak, right, the, the fenders. Mm-hmm. Um, raise those up a little bit. So from the A model to the B model, the front end got a little bit more upright and a little less sexy and a little less sleek. Mm-hmm. You know, still looked good, of course, but the A model was much more elegant. It had a like a more, you know, cooler look. Yeah. And uh, so when Rod was going to have to fix the entire front end of the car, um, basically cut it off and start over. Mm-hmm. So I said, if you're going to do that, I said, let's put an A nose on it. Why, you know, why bother? We're not, we're not trying for originality here. We know what this is going to be. Yeah. And he said, yeah. And not only is it an A nose, but it's the headlights are raked back even further about three degrees back. Um, you know, of course, he took the, the trunk lid thing off and just put a little emblem. You're talking that long, like, strip. The that's, strip, the yeah, chrome strip. Yeah, that's, that's gone. in the front. And it's just a little uh, antique um, Porsche badge. You were probably the first to do, to combine the two bodies at the time. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if he had done that before. Uh-huh. Probably not. And that's what makes him so great, is mm-hmm. that... He he has a he has a re, uh, he has a respect and a reverence for the history, but he has a Southern California hot rod background. You know his you know his father and his grandfather. Mm-hmm. His grandfather in particular was one of the early hot rodders in Southern California right after World War II. So Rod learned from his grandfather, you know, the Southern California hot rod mentality, and he carries that, but with the history of Porsche and being and wanting to be, uh, you know. I guess you'd say reverential to to the brand. He talks about when he was eight years old, he was assembling engines. Mm-hmm. Just to show how deep-rooted his love of cars is. His dad helped him build his first car when he was 14. So, you know, he, he and he's a master, master craftsman when it comes to metalworking. And that's an old-school technique. Mm-hmm. Really old-school 
craftsmanship, you know, which is a dying art, lost art, really. John, do you see any parallels with a, I, I would call Rod like a master builder, master artisan within cars, and the masters you've met um, and had the privilege to work with in music. Do you see parallels in personality? Mm, that's a good question. Um, yes. It's about passion. Mm. It's about passion and dedication. It's about the people who are really um, committed to their craft, whatever that might be. Mm. They're, they're, they're I, think, I think, very single-minded in a lot of ways. Um, and they're, uh, they, they, they've kind of realized, I think, at some point in their life that they're going to, that's what they're going to do, and they're going to do it as, as best as they can, as, as well as they can. And, um, you know, you find that with instrumentalists, musicians, players, singers, you know, producers, engineers. You know, once, once they, they, they say, they know that that's where their life is going to take them, then, they, you know, the good ones really, you know, dive in. Mm. Jump in with both feet, and that's it. You know, mm. I think that's to me that's the 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 parallel. Mm. I would say. Mm. Do you have advice for people listening, seeking to find a passion who maybe haven't found it yet? I don't know how you find it. I think it finds you. Mm -hmm. Do you know? I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, you have to be open to it, mm -hmm. and you have to be open minded to to see the possibilities. And I think uh, having a mentor, you know, having aligning yourself with a teacher or a mentor, I think is very important and you know the old cliche you know uh, when you're ready the teacher will be found you know mm -hmm. it'll find you or whatever mm -hmm. um i think it's true um i had a mentor you know i had a guitar mentor in mm -hmm. philadelphia and back in the 60s um a guy named jerry ricks who he he really taught me not only did he teach me you know about how to use my fingers and the kind of mechanical side of things but he taught me how to listen and he taught me you know how to critically listen you know which is a, a hallmark of a great musician is, is even to this day you know the best musicians are the ones that know how to listen because by listening they're they're not only they're they're able to bring out the best in themselves but they can bring out the best in the people around them because mm -hmm. it's like a team mm -hmm. so um you know i think finding a mentor and um and finding something that uh you know that that just turns you on you know and then you want to Take, take that road and just take it as far as you can. Amelia, you think it's harder today to find mentors for your generation, for younger folks? You know, I, I believe mentors are out there. I think, you know, and this is my own perceived belief, that maybe it's harder to ask for help today. Why? Um, I don't know. I, I would probably relate it to mental health and social media um, mm. issues and, and constantly comparing yourself. To use an example for myself, when I first heard of mentorship, um, because as you know, and people listening, I didn't really have a father growing up, so I didn't have the guidance I needed. So when I started learning about mentorship, I thought this was like this huge thing. Like I had to ask someone and like present something like, please, will you be my mentor? And we'll take these weekly meetings. But it's not really like that. And I don't know that a lot of people know that. You know, in ways, a lot of your peers can be mentors to you in different ways. But yeah, whether it's easy or not, I think it's, are you open to listening and, and to hearing advice as it's given to you? Do you respect the person whose advice you're taking it from? Are you willing to do anything with the advice or do yeah. you just want to hear it? Hmm. I don't know how you feel, John, but, you know, with, with social media today, I feel like information is less precious. Before, you know, growing up, if I wanted to go learn how to change oil in a car, I had to go find the mentor. I had somebody had to. Sure, you really, can't just YouTube it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so that relationship was super precious. Yeah. Well, then how about we talk about Chat GPT? Oh, and now, that's now, scary. We're, now we're in a whole other level of yeah. that, right? I mean, is there really going to be a society where kids don't go to school anymore because there's no reason to? Because if you want information, it, you you can immediately have it. Mm -hmm. There's no one, no one needs to teach it to you anymore. Mm. You can just access it. I, I, I'm taking a lot of deep dives into AI, so don't get me started. No, no, I, no, I, no. I think you're right in a, in a degree where I think it's at the end of the day too, it's how well are you going to apply yourself to learning these techniques? Because say like chat GPT could teach you what chords are, but are you going to take the time to practice them well, and learn true, them? True, true, true. But what if, what if you, if you only have a very specific interest and that's all you want to know. Mm -hmm. What happens to the 
the rest of your life? What happens to your ability to understand anything else other than the the thing that you've decided to just focus on Mm -hmm. as a well-rounded human being, as someone who understands the perspective of history? There's a whole, you know, multiple multiple levels of of uh, of you know, kind of uh, this being force fed information or having this information, you know, so easily accessible. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting, it's an interesting place in the world we're going. Recently, you know, I heard this argument about AI saying that it'll never really take over because, I mean, someone like yourself who is an artist who makes music, do you think that AI could actually duplicate, you know, and, and create well, new music? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm replicate. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I was with a friend who had ChatGPT, and he said, let's have some fun with this. He said, let's, um, he put in, write a song, a John Oates song, has to do with a girl on the beach in the summer, blah, 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 just some random images, right? Mm-hmm. Three seconds later, there were five verses, and it, I looked at it, and it was, stu- it was a, an amalgamation of stuff from other songs that I had written combined and it mm. really could have been I could have written it. Did that trip you out? It tripped me out. I don't think it was as good as something I might have written, but it was close. See? See? It was close. <laughs> but but without you there would be no verse. <laughs> so there has to be a human to create uh, that. No? Yeah, or or it can just replicate humans of the past. The the thing is is that I'm what I'm really afraid of is that songwriting as an art and a craft will disappear because everyone will be able to write a song. But a good song? It's all subjective, isn't it? I'm, do you think the songs on TikTok now are good? I don't, but some people think they're great. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Do you think you, your music or your career would have been different in some way if there was social media when you were in the 70s? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think you can even compare the times, you know. Um, it's just completely different. You know, when I was in my 20s, if you wanted to call someone, you you called them 
at their house. And if they weren't home, they didn't answer the phone. Mm -hmm. There wasn't even an answering machine. And so you had to wait until someone picked up the phone. I mean, it's like weird, I mean, to even think about. How did anyone even get anything done, right? But life, life moved on and people were able to function. I do remember a time of having to look in phone books for numbers and pre-area codes when you didn't have to type in an area oh, code. Oh, you to... can't possibly remember pre-area codes. I do codes. remember that. I do remember that. Really? Yeah. I remember uh, pre-area codes. Wow. That's, yeah. that's... Wait, what's pre... What's that? What's Before pre-area? like having 818 or 310 yeah, beginning a only, number. There yeah. was only seven numbers. Yeah. Oh, they didn't... They, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Come on. I'm not older than you. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's that's surprising that you remember that. Uh, well, I, I'm so I'll just I'll just wave the flag for my old AJS. Um, I remember when the the three numbers were letters. Letters. Yes, in New York, the numbers were Murray Hill six eight five zero zero, and it was Murray Hill, like Murray Hill was an area in New York, and the first two numbers were M U, hmm. and so you type you know you'd go M. U six and then you. Oh, I just thought they're always numbers. <laughs> no, they were they were letters. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I, I remember. I, I I grew up with a area in the house that had phone furniture. What? Yeah, there was like a table for the phone. Oh, oh, the phone uh, was, was the yeah. furniture. Yeah, there yeah. was like furniture for the phone, and there was like <laughs> linen. There was like this, you know, like. Linen for the for the for the furniture, and you and my mom would clean it because she's like, "This is expensive. This is expensive merchandise." We had <laughs> our phone in the kitchen with the really long, long cord, cord, where you would just cord, yeah, right? the curly cord. You had to like... go around the corner so <laughs> yes. you could have some privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I I don't like the fact that anybody could contact me. There's like a level of stress and expectation today. Like if 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 I send you a text or you send me a yeah. text, and if I if I don't answer immediately. Yeah. You can assume that maybe there's a problem, or yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's weird. I know. I agree. It's almost too much communication today. Yeah, it's way too much. I mean, I have over twelve hundred unread text messages on my phone. Twelve <laughs> hundred. <laughs> yeah. So you're just ignoring people? I wouldn't say ignore. <laughs> I. Well, these are people you know. I yeah. Maybe you shouldn't be telling people this. Maybe I should. I'm just, I'm, it's hard. It's hard to keep up with the day-to-day communications when everyone's trying to, no, it's true. trying to reach out about something. Yeah. Yes, the world is uh, accelerating very quickly. Yeah, well, speaking of accelerating, yeah. how do you feel about EV cars taking over the world now? Um, I think there's a problem. Uh, didn't the president of Toyota just say he's going to back off now on building EVs? Oh, I didn't hear that. Why? Yeah, he, they, that? he announced it at an auto show. Because there's a, I think there's going to be a backlash because the electric grid cannot necessarily handle the amount of if if the world goes completely EV. Mm-hmm. I think that I I personally am a real fan of the mild hybrid. I th- I think the mild hybrid is the way to go. I love a, an efficient gasoline engine that charges a battery without a separate auxiliary, you know, electrical port. I just think where our world is right now, I think it's a more efficient ICE engines, and they're developing uh, artificial uh, gasoline, plant-based gasoline too, mm-hmm. which is Porsche's involved in that as mm-hmm. well down in South America. So for me, that's the way to go for now. The hybrids in general are pretty cool. Did you see the new Lamborghini Revuelto? No. That's that's it. a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah, the first V12 hybrid that they've produced. And I mean, there's there's benefits to it as well to have something like that. How much is that car? Three million dollars. <laughs> That's a lot. It's yeah. a it's a pretty the penny. Countach, that new Countach is pretty sweet. Though. I haven't seen that. Oh, oh so they're making a revive. Yeah, it is two million dollars. But is it a retro feel? Mm-hmm. So it's got the Countach kind of design yes. language, but not really. Yeah, it's like if Countach had a baby. Yeah, today. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it is like I'm not a big Lambo yeah. fan, like modern day Lambos. But when I saw this, I was like, Pah! and I saw, I was like, oh wow. <laughs> Well, I remember, I remember in the 80s when the Countach was the shit thing. I still want one of those. That was the thing. I mean, if you were like in LA, especially, like all the big rock stars had Countach. Yeah. That was like a big deal. Yeah. Were they reliable? The people like who cares? (laughs) Just sexy. (laughs) Who cares? You couldn't even see out of them, much less. You know, but I remember going to the recording studio and you'd see a Countach sitting there. You know, you'd know somebody heavy duty was in there. Wow. Was there ever a dream car that you wished to own that didn't get a chance to? Yeah, the only car that I ever really wanted to own was a five was a Mercedes uh, three hundred SL. Sure. Mm. Yeah, 
Gullwing Coupe mm-hmm. or 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 the Roadster, mm. the SLR. Mm. You, you, you didn't Never get Never owned that. one, no, no. But I always thought that just something about them was just perfect. You know? Beautiful, huh? Yeah. Pieces of art. Mm-hmm. You know what's amazing, John, is... Uh, wait, how old are you? I'm sorry. It's Do you want to say? I don't know if you want to say. 70s, obviously, because you were saying you got your... I, I, I just turned 75 two 75. days ago. 75. Yeah, But I feel like I'm talking to a 17-year-old. Because I, 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 you have I, a young spirit about well, yeah. you. I, I was pretty dumb when I was seventeen. But no, thanks but, for the compliment. No, 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 just kidding. Not in terms of <laughs> intellect. No, I know. I know I'm talking saying. about like the light behind your eyes, oh. and this is something that I'm always in search of. Because at least in Hollywood, in my business, like you meet people, and they're so jaded that light behind their eyes is dimmed. Where do how? Do, if, and if you could give some advice, like, how do, how do you preserve that? Like, how, do, how did you stay this way? I have no idea. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like people. I like life. Um, I, I like what I do. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know who, who, why I'm who I am. I, I just am. Um, but, you know, thank you as a compliment. I appreciate that. I, I try to be, um, I try to, you know, enjoy Interaction. I love. Mm-hmm. I love talking to people, and I love talking about myself. No, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let but, me. Let me no, I've been talking about way. myself all day long, and it's funny because I always make a joke about it. People say, "Well, what did you do today?" I said, "I talked about myself all day." <laughs> so, well, how do you stay grounded? Yeah. Let's ask that. I had great parents. I was really lucky. Um, you know, good, solid parents, and um, very lower middle class. You know. Immigrant parents, you know, came. My my mom was born in America, but her mother was born in Italy. My father's mother and father were born in Europe. They were just, you know, my my grandfather was a, a fruit vendor. He went down the street in New York City with a donkey and a and sold fruit. So you know, it's only up from there. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I, I just um, it's the kind of people I came from, and uh, you know, and I, I was just lucky to uh, have them and have them support me and. I just felt, you know, I always felt like I had to prove myself in a way. Do you feel that you've proved yourself or do you still feel that today in different areas? Oh, I, I, I mean, I know I've proved myself, um, but I, I don't feel that way. I feel like I really, I'm still working at being better. I practice guitar all the time. Um, I always want to do a better show. I always, I think I can still write a better song. I don't, you know, I don't know if I can, but I, I think I can. And I, I, that's what I, I try to do. Well, one thing I think is, is that I am very appreciative of where I am. And, you know, a lot of people, I think when they achieve something, you know, they want to, they, they just want to, uh, you know, that they, they want that to be the reflection of who they are. I don't want achievements to be a reflection of who we are. I want the essence of who I am as a person be the reflection of who I am. Mm-hmm. I think that's more important to me. Um, but at the same time, I push myself, uh, you know, professionally to be as good as I can be. Uh, the other thing is, and you know, and I know I'm probably going off on some weird rant here, but um, you know, the commercial success of Hall and Oates has given me this incredible opportunity to do whatever I want in life. Not only in life personally. But as a musician, not many musicians get that. You know, a lot of musicians strive. The ultimate, the ultimate goal for any creative person is um, creative freedom. That's what everyone wants. They, whether they say it or not, that's what they want. They want to be able to do anything they want and not not be concerned that it they can make a living doing it or you know that anyone is going to criticize them. Blah blah blah. So I have achieved that, and it's a very rare thing to achieve to be able to do anything you want and it's it's you can squander it and you can waste it you know but to do that would be a real crime and it would be really you know i think it would just be it would cast a a bad you know spell on on your on your actual achievements so i'm very i'm very conscious of that and i want to be i'd rather be a uh, example of someone who has that and could stop and could rest on his laurels so to speak but instead Make the most of it. Make the most of this unique opportunity that very it's very rarely people get to to have. But in the end, you know, I just um, I just want to uh, I want to I want to go out walking. Yeah, I mean that's that's, <laughs> that's just, it. That's words of wisdom because it's and I needed to hear that because you know lately I, I I've been questioning like like 
you know, why am I so result-oriented in terms of my career? Like, you know, I'm in the process of going out there and trying to direct films now. And I'm out there pitching to studios. And and you know, most of the time, it's no. You know, this is a business of no's, right? Mm-hmm. And and I get so down. And, like, it's, there are days where, like, I, I just feel like, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep going. But then as I get older, John, like, you know, the other day I had this epiphany and I've heard it before, but I never believed it, and I never applied it to my life. I was like, "Hey, you get the opportunity to try to do this. Like, it's pretty awesome that you got to, you know, collaborate with people, and and you know, you got to write a script, and then you got to build this crew, and then you get to actually pitch your idea that you just." pulled out of your ass to a bunch of... I'm, I'm going to mother bear a little bit and say you shouldn't say try because you are directing and you did direct a film and you are incredibly successful and great and you've had great meetings and people would love and dream to work with you. You are a director, just to well, thank put you. that out there. Yeah. But you know, I mean, yeah, they, no, you I know, for the next project, sure. the next project, right? It's <laughs> you guys like, are a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, though. Yeah. But yeah, I... I it's. I mean, I, 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 I do feel like that's something I needed to hear. Is that the 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 process, right? Is the, if for those folks out there that get to even try to, you know, to 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 accomplish your dream, that's pretty much that's a that's a big feat within yeah. itself, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people who never even get close to it. So. Yeah, it's also scary just to do it sometimes, and that can deter people. But it's worth it. Yeah, at least try. You, you have know? to try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is quite a conversation, folks. <laughs> this has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank oh. you so much for your time. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me. I didn't know what we were going to do, but um, this is like we did great. it. We did it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a it's a real blessing to have you here. And oh, thanks. As you know, someone of your stature and your accomplishments, to be able to share not only your love affair for cars, but you know, the wisdom that you've been able to garner through your life, you know, so. Oh, my wife doesn't call it wisdom. She's <laughs> kidding. <laughs> thank you, John. Okay, thank appreciate you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.